Section 54 of United States Senate Election Expulsion and Censure Cases, 1793-1990, by Anne M. Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joanne Turner. Case 52, Richard H. Whiteley, 1830-1890, and Henry P. Farrow, dates unknown, versus Joshua Hill, 1812-1891, and H. V. M. Miller, 1814-1896, Georgia. Election case, December 7, 1868, to February 1, 1871. Issues. Reconstruction. Challenge to legislature's authority to elect. Qualifications. Ability to honestly swear to test oath. Chronology. Credentials presented December 7, 1868. Referred to committee December 10, 1868. Committee reports January 25, February 17, 1869. Credentials presented July 15, 1870. Referred to committee December 13, 1870. Committee report January 23, 1871. Senate vote February 1, 1871. Result, Hill and Miller seated. Background. Resistance to granting blacks political equality in some southern states created a basic tension with the Radical Republican Congress in the late 1860s. This attitude, coupled with factionalism within the states and a suspicious and divided Congress, kept several Southern Senate election cases in uncertainty for inordinately long periods. Such political conflicts blocked the seating of Georgia's senators for over two years. By June of 1868, Georgia had adopted a new constitution conforming to the Reconstruction Acts of 1867 and elected a legislature that ratified the 13th and 14th Amendments. Since the state had met the necessary criteria, Congress on June 25th passed a law restoring Georgia to representation in Congress, along with North and South Carolina, Alabama, Louisiana, and Florida. A month later, the five Georgia members were seated in the House of Representatives, and on July 28th, the state legislature elected to the state's two Senate seats Republican Joshua Hill, who had served in the U.S. House of Representatives before the war, and Democrat Homer V. M. Miller, a physician who had participated in the new Georgia Constitutional Convention. But then, in September, the situation changed dramatically when the white members of the Georgia legislature expelled 28 black representatives and senators in effect returning the legislature to rebel control. As a result, when Hill's credentials were presented to the U.S. Senate on December 7, 1868, at the beginning of the third session of the 40th Congress, the scene was set for a fight. Statement of the Case Even though Joshua Hill was known to have remained a loyal Unionist throughout the war, 
Charles Drake, Republican of Missouri, registered a protest upon the presentation of his credentials, informing his colleagues that the white Georgia legislators had banded together and expelled all the black members, Drake asked the Judiciary Committee to investigate Hill's credentials. Drake's fellow Republican, John Sherman, Ohio, disagreed. Sherman maintained that Georgia had complied with all conditions imposed by Congress. The state had been readmitted to representation, and the governor inaugurated on July 18, 1868. Ten days later, the legislature had elected Hill by a large majority. Because the Democrats were so anxious to defeat his principal opponent, whom they violently disliked, that they unenthusiastically joined with Georgia Republicans to vote for him. The expulsion of the black Republican legislators after the election, Sherman declared, quote, is as much disapproved by the senator-elect as by any one of us. It was a gross outrage, a violation of the constitutional amendment, and a violation of the Reconstruction Act, unquote. Sherman concluded, however, that the Senate should not penalize Hill, a faithful unionist who decried the behavior of the state legislature. Drake refused to abandon his opposition, stressing his belief that Congress retained its power over the reconstructed states even after a state government was reorganized and recognized. Claiming to have no objection to Hill personally, he stated, quote, I wish this matter to be investigated. I wish the facts to go before the country, unquote. In October 1868, a convention representing the black population of Georgia had sent to Congress a memorial describing the situation there. It set forth the circumstances under which the black legislators had originally been elected and noted that the white members had encouraged them to ratify the constitutional amendments. Then, once the state was safely restored to the Union, the white legislators declared that the black members were actually ineligible to serve and voted to expel them in a body after, quote, the Speaker ruled that none of the persons involved in the charge had the right to vote upon the question, unquote. The memorialists asked for redress from Congress to uphold their rights as citizens. According to John Thayer, Republican of Nebraska, the rebellion in the Georgia legislature occurred because the body had been, quote, composed in part of men who had been expressly disqualified, unquote, from holding public office under terms of the 14th Amendment's prohibition on service by anyone who had previously served in a federal or state government office and later engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States, contending that the illegal inclusion in the state legislature of these members undermined the legitimacy of the reorganized Georgia government the Nebraska Republican dismissed concerns that sending the credentials to committee would place Hill in a state of suspense. 
After all, Thayer said, quote, civil order is in suspense in Georgia. Loyalty is in suspense in Georgia. Human liberty is in suspense in Georgia, unquote. On December 10, 1868, the Senate decided to refer the credentials of Joshua Hill to the Judiciary Committee, together with the memorial of the black voters and a letter on the matter from the governor of Georgia. A month later, the Senate also sent to committee the credentials of the senator-elect for the second Georgia vacancy, Homer V. M. Miller. Response of the Senate on January 25, 1869, the Judiciary Committee returned majority and minority reports on the credentials of Joshua Hill. Most committee members agreed with Roscoe Conkling, Republican of New York, that Congress could not overlook outrageous irregularities in the organization of the Georgia legislature or the expulsion of its black members. According to the committee, an essentially rebel legislature controlled the civil government, and widespread persecution, assault, and murder were being perpetrated against black Georgians and others loyal to the national government. Concerned about these conditions in the state, Conkling and his associates decided that Hill should not be seated. The minority view espoused by Judiciary Committee Chairman Lyman Trumbull, Republican of Illinois, accepted a statement by Georgia's provisional governor that no ineligible members sat in the legislature. It therefore recommended that the loyal Unionist Hill should be seated. Trumbull believed that time and the influence of a new state administration would soon correct whatever of lawlessness and disorder now remain in the state, of which there had been conflicting reports. Before the Senate took further action on either senator-elect, the National Union Republican Association of Georgia submitted resolutions to the Senate condemning the expulsion of the black legislators and urging that Joshua Hill and H.V.M. Miller not be seated. These resolutions were referred to the Judiciary Committee, which recommended on February 17, 1869, that Miller not be seated. Shortly thereafter, Congress adjourned. Lyman Trumbull promptly reactivated the Hill and Miller case when the 41st Congress convened several weeks later in early March. But the Senate failed to take action during this brief first session, and reports of disorder in the state continued. In December 1869, at the start of the second session, Congress responded by passing an act setting additional requirements for Georgia's reconstruction, including reorganization of the state legislature. After complying with these provisions and ratifying the 15th Amendment, the state was again formally admitted to representation in Congress on July 15, 1870. That same day, credentials were presented to the Senate for two new senators, Richard H. Whiteley, Republican, and Henry P. Farrow, 
chosen by the reorganized legislature. In the early days of the third session of the 41st Congress, on December 13, 1870, the Senate referred these credentials to the Judiciary Committee. Once again, the committee was divided, issuing majority and minority reports in January 1871. On January 23rd, the majority report recommended that Joshua Hill be seated, but that H.V.M. Miller, who had acted as a surgeon in the Confederate Army, should be denied his seat because he could not swear the required ironclad test oath of loyalty that he had not given aid to the enemy. In presenting the report, Lyman Trumbull expressed the view that the Senate was not in a position to investigate the eligibility of individual members of a legislature that elected U.S. Senators. All that the Senate of the United States can do, he asserted, is to ascertain whether there was a legislature duly organized with a constitutional quorum in each of its branches which has sent the member here. He reiterated that at the time Hill and Miller were elected, the Georgia legislature had been recognized by Congress, along with those from the other states readmitted to representation in June 1868. The problem, he explained, had arisen from the subsequent action of that legislature in expelling the black members and replacing them with white men who had not been properly elected. On January 30, 1871, William M. Stewart, Republican of Nevada, presented the minority report, expressing his opposition to seating Hill and Miller in extensive floor remarks. The two claimants elected before the December 1869 law was enacted, he believed, were not entitled to their seats, and Whiteley and Farrow, having been elected by a duly recognized legislature, should be sworn in. By a vote of 19 to 36, the Senate defeated Stewart's motion to seat Farrow and Whiteley, but Stewart continued to press his position. He contended that in passing the December 1869 Act, Congress had repudiated the 1868 legislature as illegally constituted and thus not empowered to elect U.S. Senators. A majority of the Senate, however, rejected this view, believing that the legislature had elected Hill and Miller in conformity with the law. On February 1, 1871, Senators, anxious to settle the case, voted to seat Joshua Hill, and he came forward to take the oaths of office. Debate on Miller's credentials followed. Alan Thurman, Democrat of Ohio, introduced a joint resolution providing that Hill need not take the ironclad oath regarding his past actions and instead could simply swear future loyalty to the United States. Thurman argued that since other Southerners who aided the rebellion both militarily and politically had had their disabilities removed. It seemed illogical to turn away Miller, who, as a Confederate surgeon, had been a non-combatant 
charged with saving lives. The Senate referred the joint resolution to the Judiciary Committee, and it was subsequently passed by both houses of Congress and signed by the President. On February 24, 1871, Miller took the oath prescribed by the resolution and was seated. His term of office expired less than two weeks later. Conclusion The questions raised by the stormy history of the 1868 Georgia legislature were not yet finally settled. Throughout 1871, the Senate also wrestled with the case of Foster Blodgett, elected to succeed Miller by the same reorganized legislature that selected Whiteley and Farrow, see Case 57. On February 27th, the Senate voted compensation to Henry P. Farrow and Richard H. Whiteley for the 11 months they waited for a decision in the case. Both Joshua Hill and Homer Miller returned to Georgia on the completion of their terms, Hill in 1873 and Miller in 1871. Hill participated in Georgia's Constitutional Convention of 1877, after which he returned to private life. He died in 1891, and Miller died in 1896. End of Case 52 and of Section 54